the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If if Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mention a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character.
right. Joining us on the line right now is a former WWF Slammy Award winner, of course, a legendary WWE manager, the Reverend himself, the Slickster. Slick, Slick, how you doing today, sir? My brother, how are you? I'm doing very good. This is quite an honor. This is a, a bucket list type guy for me. I mean, an absolute WWE legend. Well, thank you for having me. It's always uh, a good feeling to be remembered and to be respected and then to be requested. So I'm grateful for the privilege to share with you and to your audience. And uh, thank you for having me on again. Yes, no problem at all. Now, what's been going on in your world? What has the Slickster been up to? Well, you know, I'm in private life now. And after I left uh, the WWE, I, uh, I began a career in education. Uh, I'm an educator by, by uh, profession. And so I taught school for several years. And then also I'm in the ministry, and uh, I'm pastoring the Shiloh Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. So Reverend Slick is a real thing? Yes, yes. Well, Reverend, my name is, you know, the Slick thing, that, of course, was a, a character in the WWE. The Reverend Slick thing was a character, of course, in the WWE Mm-hmm. But in my in my uh, real life, yes, I am a, a minister. Yes. Now, as far as the Slickster and and the WWE, let's go back to there. How'd you first get into the WWF? Well, you know, the wrestling business is pretty much comprised of first and second or even third generation people because of of the at that time. Because you got to remember, I've been I've been away from the uh, WWE for about 33 years now. And so uh, you got to remember back in those days and even prior to my debut, it was such a kayfabe business. So usually the people who were in there were either first or second generation. And so, you know, I was in Kansas City working with my father, Rufus R. Freight Chain Jones. Right. And, uh, yes. yes. And so that's, and, uh, and so Butch Reed, got the call from the WWE to come in, and they wanted him to have a manager. And so he took me with him. That's how I got in. And because uh, Bruiser Brody had sent pictures of myself and him to New York, uh, he wanted me to manage him as well up there. So that gave me a little clout because they had two of the top names in the business at the time that wanted me, so they started to take a look at me on their satellite. And I did an interview with Vince, uh, with Mr. McMahon, and so the rest is history. That is awesome. And Bruiser Brody was actually going to go to the WWF at one point? He wanted to. Oh. Yeah, he wanted to. He was requesting to go with me as his manager. But I was already going with Butch Reed. Damn, well, that would have been quite a thing. You Bruiser yeah. Brody into the WWF, oof, that would have been pretty yeah. cool. Pretty cool, yeah. One of the top heels of our time. Well, and Babyface, too, really. Yes. Yeah. Hey, and, and Rufus R. Jones, your dad, I mean, he was an awesome wrestler. What a Babyface, what a character. Oh, yeah. You know, he was ahead of his time. Had he been uh, around in the WWE era, 
he would have he would have been over like he'd have been over like thunder, just like JYD was junkyard dog, and uh, but uh, you know that's the way it goes, right? <laughs> yep. So when you first go in there, you meet with Vince. What's that like? I mean, how how is Vince? It's it's uh, it's very intense. It is. It's a very intense meeting because you understand that it, this is going to lead you to the zenith of your career if you're accepted. And so, but it, the thing that uh, you know, I had to sell myself, and I never will forget. He said, "Well, do a promo." And so once he let me talk, it was over. <laughs> he loved the promo of uh, of the Slickster. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't mean to sound pain when I said that, but that's just my gift, you know. Yeah, to give a gift of gab for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh huh, yeah. When? But I'm not I'm not a vain person, so I didn't mean it to sound as though. Yep. Uh, yeah, you know I was. When you do, you know, you get recruited in, you're in with Butch, you meet with Vince, you do that inter- interview really with him or that promo with him. Is he alone or who else is there with Vince? Uh. There was a guy, his name was Barnett, Jim Barnett. Oh, yes. Jim Barnett was in there. And I think Terry Garvin. I may be a little little off on that, but I know Jim Barnett was. And Terry Garvin may have been in and out. Uh, But I know Jim Barnett was. Because I never will forget that Jim Barnett asked Vince, he said, well, what is is going to be his his, uh, costume? What is he going to wear? And uh, I had on a purple suit, purple and brown, and Vince liked it. So Vince said he's wearing it. And uh, (laughs) because that was already my my gimmick was the doctor of style. So Vince liked that. So he said he's wearing it. That's what he's going to do. He's going to wear a stylish suit. I love it. I mean, it's such a cool gimmick. I mean, it's so original where'd you kind of come up with that you know the doctor of style slick it just came to me well see i've always been a dresser uh even before going into into the wwe i loved to dress and so uh, everybody had something to go with their name like greg the hammer uh the natural butchery uh hacksaw jim duggan uh bruiser brody uh, the Texas Tornado, Kerry, you know, everybody had a moniker. And, and so, and so, and so I, I just came up with that because I dressed, I wore suits all the time. So I just came up with the doctor of style. And where does Slick come from? Now, uh, Vince McMahon does not own the rights to my name. Uh, I, I was working in, uh, for Tully Blanchard's father, uh, Joe Blanchard, they, 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 his, his moniker was Jolton, Jolton Joe Blanchard. I was working for them in uh, San Antonio, Texas, and I was going by the name Silky Slim. And so Colonel Buck Robley, are you familiar with him? Oh, yes. Colonel Buck Buck Robley gave me the name Slick. But that's wow. how that that's how that name came up. Slick. It does fit you. It does fit you pretty well. Well, thank you. So obviously, you know, you get to the at WWF, you're you're with Butch Reed, but there's all the other managers there as well, right? I mean there's classy Freddie Blassie's there, you got the brain, you got Jimmy Hart. I mean you Captain, got all, 
Captain Lou Yeah. Mr. Fuji. Jimmy V. Johnny V. Yeah. Yep. Johnny V. I'm sorry. And Frenchie Martin. See, that's what I can think of right now. So many managers, right? I mean, that was the the time. I mean, everybody had a manager. What did you kind of think of where you fit along with those other guys? Well, I didn't. I was green. I didn't know anything about the wrestling business. Uh, I had only been in, when I went to the WWE, I had only been in the wrestling business a few months. And people think because my father is who he is that I I would have been abreast of the uh, mechanics of wrestling and even the psychology of it. But I was not because I had a different career and I was, uh, that that did not appeal to me initially in my life, uh, and so when uh, I went to the WWE, I was very green, and Vince was reluctant to put me in high-profile uh, situations uh, initially. But Bobby Heenan and Dory Funk Jr., who were very close friends to my father. They took me under their wing and started teaching me, and I learned very quickly. And then Jimmy Hart took a liking to me, and we became friends and even traveled together sometimes. And he started to teach me, so and I learned very, very quickly, you know. Uh, so uh, that enabled me to, to uh, kind of slow up to the top, because like after I was there about for five months, maybe not even that long. I was working in matches against Hulk Hogan, you know, with with, uh, Hercules Hernandez. Awesome. And uh, I love that pairing, right? Because Hercules, kind of a newer guy, but great piece of talent. I mean, you know, just looked phenomenal, played the part, fit that WWF style perfectly. And was a great guy. I I really loved him. And we were good friends. And he was a very, very loyal type of friend and a good guy, honest, decent guy with character and integrity, yes. So when you first get there, even before Hercules, you're managing Volkov and Sheik at first. You were kind of taking that half interest with all the classy Freddie Blassie guys. Yeah, you know Freddie Blassie was ailing. Uh, he was ailing. He, his knees were bad. His ankles were bad. He had other health uh, concerns and issues, and so it altered our plan. I was not supposed to go to the WWE. F until August, but because that Freddie uh, Blassie was ailing, they they uh, they brought me in early, and they just came up with the idea that I would buy half interest in the uh, Freddie Blassie's uh, stable, and that's initially how he was phased out. What did you think about Classy Freddie? I loved him. And oh, and you know what? I I would be remiss were I to fail to mention that he was one of my teachers as well. Freddie Blassett was a great guy and a great mentor. Was he okay with kind of fading out and, and you know, kind of like moving on? Oh yes, you know what well, you got to remember, man. Freddie was pushing eighty, you know, and he was ailing. And he wasn't just like uh, pushed pushed out, as in that he did not have a role in the company. It was just on the 
appearance side. See what I'm saying? He still had a job. Gotcha. Yeah. So with that, obviously, you know, you do have Hercules, and then you kind of sell him off to Bobby the Brain. I mean, kind of all these different little uh, buying and selling storylines going on in WWE as far as being able to switch talents around. Well, you know, uh, the office, they come up with, with their storyline, and I think that that has something to do with uh, – my ethnicity, and you know, it's always in life. It's been the other way around, right? So to get some cheap heat, they just since to fix it up. Me, an African American man coming in, buying and selling white folks. You know, yep. You see, that would be offensive to to, to the baby face fan. You see, so yeah. it was a, a way of drawing heat. Yeah. Did you mind that at all? Did you think that was like a little? too much like cheap heat, or did you like it? I never gave opinions because I considered myself an employee. So I, I, you know, I, was, I did what I was asked to do as long as it didn't compromise with my integrity in terms of, uh, of moral things, you know. I, I did what I was told to do, and I always understood that this is fiction. You know, it's not real, so... I never got caught up in my own headlines. Right, which is good, which is good. Now, obviously, you are with One Man Gang at one point, who then, of yeah. course, becomes Hakeem, the African Dream. How did yeah. that whole like whole thing come about? Because everyone like remembers that. You know what I mean? Like Mean Gene yeah. and that whole vignette. I mean, so many people remember how he turns into Hakeem. So, how is that kind of all? Yeah, and crazy storyline happened. Yeah, you were saying Hakeem. It was Hakeem. Hakeem, yeah, Hakeem. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it, it was my idea. And, you know, a gang was doing an interview uh, on one of his podcast things, and he said, well, you know, Vince came up with the idea, and I called him, and I, I said, you know, I know you're getting old, but surely you can't forget how this came into existence. It was my idea. I came to, I went to, uh, I went to George first and asked him, was he cool with it? Because cause he had to be cool with it for us to do it. And uh, and he said, yeah. And then I went to Vince, and Vince loved the idea. And so Vince comes back and goes to game and said, this is what we're going to do. So that's how it happened. So how did you pitch it? Like, what, what did you say? Like, Akeem is going to be... Like like a like a dusty road rip off or like how did you kind of word it? That, that, just like that, pretty much, pretty much. Because I, I could see as big as Hakeem was weight wise, and if he could do the jive and whatnot, I thought it would go over. And we put him in those dashiki and African clothes and stuff. And uh, I thought that uh, if he could, if he could, if he, he, I thought he had the charisma to. Make it work and 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 to talk, you know, in 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 the in the perception of what uh, in the um, area of what most uh, Caucasian people's perception is of how black people talk, and I thought we could pull that off. It's, it's, it's our show business, you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, and so and that's the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. So did you say it's going to be a bit of a, like a Dusty Rhodes kind of 
um, like a little bit of a rib on Dusty, or is that kind of no, no? That? I I never I never ever mentioned Dusty. I just said he would we would we would turn him into an African American. Mm-hmm. He never claimed to be an African American. He just talked jazz. Right. Yeah. So it it didn't have anything to do with Dusty. A lot of people think it did, but it didn't have anything to do with Dusty. With his like hand gyration, did he eventually do a little bit of Dusty, or no, not at all? I don't know how to answer your question because I never noticed, you know, what you what you. I, I never really even thought about Dusty, you know. Really? Okay. I uh, when like you know Dusty does like to flop and fly, just kind of he um, shakes his hand a certain way. I felt like Akeem, I kind of was doing a little bit of Dusty there, but maybe maybe not. Maybe I'm just crazy. I've already answered your question. I don't know. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. So with Akeem and, and that, you know, that, that thing, so Vince loves it, and Akeem loves the George Gray. I mean, he loves it too. He just, he really took to it? Yes, no problem. So where does the theme song, the Jive Soul Bro, I mean, is the, is well, that awesome theme? You know, Vince has people that do everything. Uh, you know, he's a... I, I would I would say of uh, Mr. McMahon that he is a genius, and especially for this business, all for entertainment. And he really he knows how to run a business to perfection. Really, he does. He has whatever you need. He has people in place. Uh, he has he has that category uh, filled with people that can assist in that area. And so uh, I can't think of the guy's name that it wrote the song, but they wrote it and music and and uh, and I performed. They called it to me and I performed it. You know, a lot of people say I wrote it, you know, but I, I did not. So. What did you think about performing the song? I mean, it, it's so memorable, and everyone knows that song, even so to this day. Well, the thing about it, it really didn't matter what I thought. That's what I was told to do. Uh, you know, a lot of people forget, you know, we are employees. You know, it's just like when you go to work, you know, your supervisor, your boss tells you to do something, you do it. If you want to keep your job. And right. and believe me, very few people turn down assignments because you have so many people standing in line to get that. Once you get to the to the uh WWE you've reached the pinnacle of you know, success. It, there isn't any place further to go, so you want to hold on to your job. They said for me to do, that's what I did. Looking back, though, how great is it? It's so memorable. I mean, it's 30-plus years later, everyone still remembers that song. You still see it on YouTube, still see it everywhere, and everyone loved that song. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel humbled. I'm humbled and I'm appreciative because to this day, when people hear it, they go nuts. Uh, with with you know with 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 with, a, with a enjoyment you know, and uh, I hey man you know it, it, it's the only song I've ever done, so you might say I, I was a one hit wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely, man. That's got to be one of the greatest theme songs of all time. It's definitely up there, top five at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I well now I'm gonna be frank with you. And, and perhaps I'm biased. I actually think it was the best song on the Power Driver album. 
I agree. Definitely I, agree. I actually, I mean, I'm sincere about that. I'm, I'm not being facetious. And I'm not being vain either one. I just truly in my heart of hearts, I think it was the best song. And it certainly has been it certainly has been argued to have been, it didn't have been the best. People yes. have said in, in other words, in describing it, people have said it is arguably the best song on the album. In my biased opinion, it is. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, with Akeem, it comes the uh, big boss man in the Twin Towers, as you used to greatly say, feuding with yeah. the mega powers of, of Hogan, of uh, the Hulkster, Hulk Hogan, and Macho Man Randy uh, Savage. You've done, you've done your research well. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, uh, I lived through it. I loved that era. That's one of my favorite eras of the WWF. I mean, obviously, that feud leads to the mega powers exploding, which was the biggest pay-per-view up until that point. I mean, it was just monstrous how well it did. I mean, 750,000 buys at that point, whatever it was, it was a huge number and huge business, mm-hmm. but all built up on the slickster and the twin towers shooting with Hogan and Macho. Yep. 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 That's right. That is right. That was a heck of a run. My only regret is that, they never gave the Twin Towers the tag belts. I thought that we would have represented the uh, the tag belts well. I think I thought we were the perfect team, for a perfect combination, perfect trio, if, you know, for it. But it, it never materialized, and so that's fine. We still headline. We still you know headline. And we got to do the Arsenio Hall show, and uh, and uh, then I was on entertainment tonight, uh, and uh, say we did Regis Philbin, Family Feud, so that great thing you know occurred because of it, or resulted. And were you guys ever promised the tag team titles? Because it seemed like you definitely should have won the tag titles at that point. You guys were the hottest no. heel act. Well, we we never were, and I know why. I don't want to say why that that uh, we didn't we didn't get the belt. Uh, something had happened uh, about three years, uh, well, not three, about a year or two earlier, with one of the members of the Twin Towers, and it it wasn't it it was serious, but it wasn't fatal, and it wasn't um, it wasn't something that. Uh, they just necessarily held a grudge uh, against him about, but they always proceeded with caution. You know, some guys can't stand it, and I'll, I'll say it as euphemistically as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Some guys cannot stand to be on the road a long, long time. And whenever you have the belts, you know, you don't get time off. You have to be on the road for weeks and weeks at a time. And some some one of one of the members of the uh, Twin Towers could not stand that you know they they would ask for time off, and so that's just why I think they didn't get the belt. Uh, I can't I cannot say that emphatically, but uh, I'm saying it from a an, uh, a, a, a assumptive position that that's what that's what I am assuming that. Why we did not get, get the belt because when one of them, as you know, both of them was in a long run with Hogan. Yes. But one would ask for time off, and when, when, when you get the Hogan, 
you 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 reach the pinnacle, and so you can't be asking for time off. So I think that's what happened with that when with the Twin Towers. And had an I, awesome run with Hogan too. Yes, yes. All of my guys had a run with Hogan, and I'm grateful to Hogan to this day because he set his approval upon that, and he and he wanted me there. And I, I'll always be indebted to him. And, you know, I've said this on other interviews. You know, Hulk Hogan is my guy. I I, I love him to death. Uh, he helped endorse me coming in. Uh, you know, you know, Vince asked him his opinion of what he think about me. And he said, oh, I, you know, I just will make money with him. And so I'm grateful to him, I, you know, to my dying day uh, that he helped to uh, solidify uh, me coming in, and I, I'm grateful. Now, yeah, of course, you also managed the Bolsheviks, Power and Glory, Warlord. You leave in 91, British Bulldog slams you. You know, Why did you end up leaving at that point? I know you come back, but why did you end up leaving at that point? They they phased me out. They, they phased me out, and uh, he wanted me to do – he had some television programs that were regional, you know, not national, like – like the national programs are, right, or international programs are. But he has some regional programs, like the Wrestling Spotlight and Philadelphia stuff. He wanted me to start doing that. And because he said I had been out a while now and everybody was used to me, so they, he was giving me some time off to, to not to overkill, you know, wouldn't be an overkill. And so and so, I, I had that time off, so I was doing, I was working behind I was still with the company. I was still on payroll. You just could, I wasn't on TV internationally. People were still seeing me on these regional programs. With everything uh, going on um, as far as, like, you're leaving and then coming back, you become basically Reverend Slick, a baby face. Uh, you give a sermon, I know, before Survivor Series and stuff like that. Did you like being... You know, the baby face rather than because you're so used to it and everyone remembers the slickster as this cool heel. I'm going to be honest with you. I was horrible as a baby face. You know, even if we had not been doing the reverend thing, if it had just been me slick and turning baby face, I was horrible. And I'm man enough and honest enough to admit that. I did not get over as a baby face. And uh, even when I did my promos, I, I I was still doing them like I was a heel. And uh, I don't know. I just uh, I, I I didn't do well. As, uh, and I think it was because of the reverend part. I think if I had just been a normal baby face, I would have been okay. But I had uh, inhibitions and apprehensions about some of the things because uh, I didn't want to make a mockery out of the ministry either. Gotcha. Yeah. You do you do end up doing a funny thing with like Kamala when you're managing Kamala for a little bit and I think the most famous thing besides doing some stuff with Mean Gene would maybe be when you guys went bowling. Right? Mm-hmm. I think everyone yeah. probably remembers that funny skit. Yeah, you know, I, I at that time I was an avid bowler. I you know, I bowled uh practically every day, even when we were on the road. I had my bowling shoes, my bowling balls, and I found whatever town we were in, I would find a bowling alley, and I'd go bowl every day. 
And uh, I was very, very good bowler. I bowled three hundreds, and 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 uh, so they, you know, it 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 was known, you know, like somebody might be sitting in the hotel lobby or maybe getting ready to go to lunch or coming back from the gym, and so well, there goes slick with them bowling balls, those uh, bowling balls. You know, but that's slick. He bowled every day, and then some guys even start going with me. You know, Dave Hefner and and uh, Jimmy Hart. Sometimes different guys like that would go with me bowling, and so it was known that I was an avid bowler and that I was really good at it. And so that's when they came up with the idea we put a, do a skit with him teaching Kamala how to bowl. Very very funny stuff. Uh, always always thought that was great. Like you're there for the golden era, and you're kind of winding it down. Why'd you end up leaving and, and retiring? You, you just wanted to go towards the ministry? No, I had a health issue, and I could not pass the uh, EKG with the numbers that they that they needed, and they felt that I was at risk, and that if something may have happened to me, you know, while I was out there at the ring, that maybe they could be liable. So I was I was just phased out of my country. I was not fired as more as it is that my contract was just not renewed. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you do over the years you make some sporadic appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, for the, so you did have a good, still had a good relationship with them. Any thought of being in the WWE Hall of Fame or any reason why it hasn't happened? Because I feel like you would be a, a shoe in to me. Well, I'll tell you what I believe. And uh, I have to make sure that you capture me saying this is my opinion. Right, of course. That this, this is not a fact, and I am not making uh, this assertion uh, to be against Mr. McMahon or any of the administration or executives of uh, the uh, WWE, this is solely my opinion. You remember, as I alluded to earlier, I knew very little about wrestling. I was not a wrestling, per se, professional. I was a wrestling personality. So I don't think I would ever be in the Hall of Fame because I wasn't hired to contribute to the uh, to, to the uh, efficiency or the proficiency of wrestling, I was hired to be an entertainer, and that's what I did. So I don't think that I would ever be in the Hall of Fame. And then because I was a part of a lawsuit, which people misunderstand and think that I was part of a concussion part. My part of it was an amendment about issues and things that occurred uh, while I was there and and and, and loss of uh, pay that I felt I didn't receive. So I want to make it clear that I'm just simply saying it is my opinion that I would never be in the Hall of Fame based upon my participation in the lawsuit and based upon the fact that they didn't hire me from a wrestling perspective, but from an entertainment uh, aspect. Gotcha, gotcha. With you know you in the WWE Hall of Fame, I mean, 
to me, anyway, my opinion, of course, definitely should be in one of the greatest managers of all time. So memorable. Even just on Jive Soul Bro alone, you should be in. I mean, geez, it's so memorable. I, Everybody remembers you. You know, I'm not going to be one of those guys that say, I don't care whether they put me in there or not. I don't feel that way. Uh, and to some degree, I'm I'm bothered. Uh, I even hurt a little bit. That, because the, even when the lawsuit occurred, I had been gone 25 years. Right. So they had they had uh, 25 years, or uh, even more. Let's see, 93, 03, 13. Yeah. So 20 some odd years. Yeah, 25 years. So they've had enough time, even before that, to put me in. And I remember speaking to Mr. McMahon one day, and I said, "Well, I mean, I was the first African American manager in WWE history." He said, "For whatever that's worth." That was his reply to me. So I knew then that didn't mean anything to him, so I never brought it up again. But I thought I should have been in the Hall of Fame for that reason, too, alone, because I was a trailblazer for African-American managers. And Clarence Mason and Sapphire and and other African-Americans since then, you know, I paved the way for that to happen by being successful and proving that that it would work, you know. Yeah, really laid the the groundwork, and obviously without you, they they wouldn't have been in the position that they were in. Yes, sir, I believe. Uh, again, I'm going to say I'm not going to be like one of those people that some of the people say. Hey, I don't care what they do; it doesn't matter to me. I'm not. No, I I, I feel that I should be in there. You know, Teddy Long is in there. Right. Yeah. And. Teddy should be there. He was more of a wrestling person than me. But I should have been in there before Teddy. That's what I'm saying. Oh, way before, yeah. Because his, just just because timing-wise, he came, you know, 10 years after you or so. I mean, for sure, should have been in there. Yeah. Coco Beware, who's a good friend of mine, we talk periodically on the phone. He's in. Yep. Uh JYD is in there, any lad is in. They all should be in there. Teddy Long should be in there. But there are some people that they put in the secondary, uh, in the minor uh, uh, phase of the Hall of Fame. They put my dad in. Well, you know, I think he should have been up there in the major Hall of Fame. They put, uh, what's the girl's name, uh, Luna Vachon. She should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. She was one of the best lady workers we ever had. You know, it's his it's his thing. You can't tell him you know how to do it. But I'm really hurt when it comes to the Hall of Fame. I, you know, and and you're trying to discuss me, and I appreciate you doing that. And it may be somewhat disrespectful on my part to divert attention away from what you're saying, which is certainly complimentary of my career. And I want you to know how much I appreciate that. But I'm diverting attention because of the love I have in my heart for this person. And that's Hexal Butch Reed or the natural Butch Reed. There's just no way Butch Reed should not be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I agree. Crazy. I, I Legend. Love, I love JYD. I love S.D. Jones. I love Coco Beware. I love Kamala. I love Ernie Ladd. And you have to love Ernie Ladd. 
because Ernie Led was like a daddy to all of us. When you hear African-American guys talk about Ernie Led, you're going to hear them say things like he was a learning tree. He was a mentor. He's, he taught us, you know, and you have to respect that. But I'm telling you, Butch Reed was better than all of them. And as a person, I loved I booked him a few times, Butch, and he's yeah. just he's quiet but so funny. And he'll say something out of nowhere, like teasing Ron Simmons or, you know, teasing Teddy Long. I mean, he's just such a funny comical guy, which with him and Jr. he was teasing Jr. about stuff yeah, going back yeah. a few years. I mean, he's just such a fun-loving, great guy. I love yeah. spending some time with Butch. But he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I don't think you'll have anybody, any any one of the guys that will that will refute or dispute that, uh, I disagree that Butch Reed should be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, he just passed away recently. Mm-hmm. And, and that hurt me so bad because we had talked on the phone for almost an hour and a half, two weeks before he died. And we were making plans because I was going to go up there to uh, Kansas City uh, on some business. And I, want, I wanted to make sure that he was going to be around so I could see him. And, man, he had the heart attack, and then two weeks later he was dead, and it just really hurt me because if it wasn't for Bush Reed, I would never have been in the WWE, never. He's the one that recommended me. And so I I, I would like to see them put him in, but he's a part of that lawsuit as well, so they probably will never do that. Yeah, it's a shame. He, uh, He definitely deserves a great, and you guys were a great parent together too. Yeah. If Vince McMahon came to me and said, listen, uh, Ken, I'm going to either put you or Butch Reed in the Hall of Fame. I won't put both of you, but I, you, you choose. I would say Butch Reed, not me. Wow. That's what says a lot meant. about you. But that's what he meant to the business, and that's what he meant to me. Love it. As we uh, start to wind it down, we head towards the finish here. What is the legacy of Slick? I'm saying, you know, awesome manager, but you, what's kind of the legacy of you in the wrestling business? I read from time to time things that fans say on uh, YouTube and uh, these uh, chat rooms. Or, or, and when people say, you know, I met Slick in the airport. I met Slick in uh, in uh, uh in the mall. I met Slick out eating. He is the nicest guy. He is so approachable, so easy to talk to. He takes time with people. He signs the autograph. He takes pictures. He smiles. He's kind. That's what I want my legacy to be. Uh, I don't think in all of your interviews that you do with people, I'm sure there have been times that certain guys have said something about other guys that they didn't like. But I don't think you've run across any of the guys that have ever said anything negative about me. And that's what I want my legacy to be, that we loved Slick. He was a great guy. He was a loyal friend. He was a man of character and integrity. That's what I want my legacy to be. Nice. Yeah, not too many people say anything bad about the Slickster. that's, uh, That's for sure said not too many so you know somebody who has 
No, well, no, actually, I don't know anybody, but I don't think there's any nobody to me. But I don't think there's yeah. anybody out there saying <laughs> saying anything bad about the yeah. slickster for sure. Yeah, let, let me know so I can call them up. <laughs> you got to get them. No, not to get them. Not to get them. Call them up to see what the issue is and to rectify it. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, nobody I know is saying anything bad about this place. They're probably saying how great that theme song was, but that that's probably about it. <laughs> I thought yep. that you would ask me about my relationship with the one-man gang. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because everybody everybody in the wrestling business knows. Now, Butch Reed was my brother, but I didn't travel with him a lot because Butch, uh, Butch had mean ways. He was real. He was real a gruff type of guy. You know, he wasn't mean. He had mean ways. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. He could be very gruff sometimes, and people misunderstood that. But Butch's attitude was extremely uh, lackadaisical uh, when it came to urgency. I mean, we were supposed to be at some place at one o'clock, and Butch decided he was hungry, and it was ten minutes to one. He was gonna stop and eat. And we just get there when we get there. Well, I didn't like that, you know. I, you know, as close as we were, and as much as I love him, that's not who I am. But the one man gang and I, we like the same food. We like the same type of cars. We like the same, you know. We 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 would just we we yell. Neither one of us drink or did drugs or smoked or any of that type of a thing. And so we spent a lot of time together, traveling together. And we, even today, I was going. To, when you called, as a matter of fact, to do this interview, we were on the phone talking, and and uh, we talked two or three times a week. Sometimes we we're very close. And uh, out of all the guys that I managed, if I had the one guy that I could go back into the business with right now to travel with and to work with, it would be Gang. Guys are that close. I love to hear that yeah. all these years later. Still buddies. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I just got off the phone with him when you called. We were, we were talking. Very cool. You guys are still, you know, friends after all these years and, and still very, very close. I mean, that, that's rare in wrestling. And my other close friend that we talk on the phone all the time is Dangerous Danny Davis. You remember him? Yes. Yes, of yeah. course. We talk two or three times a week as well. And then the other one is Coco Beware. We talk a lot. Yep. Nice. Danny Davis had a book out not that long ago, which was a pretty good book. Yeah, he's trying to get me to do he's trying to get me to do the, with the same guy that he did his with. And I should have done a book years ago, you know. My life in the WWE, the world the, the WWE's first African American manager. You know, something like that, some type of a title. Uh, and I should have done It's never too late, but it may not have the impact now because so many of the youngsters don't know me. But there's still a lot of those hardcore wrestling fans that love books and they love old school stuff, and nostalgia right now is yeah. more popular than ever. So it might be a good time to uh, to write that book. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, Danny called me uh, last week. Man, I'm trying to get you to write the book. You need to write the book. Your book would go over. I said, oh, Danny, nobody wants to hear about me after all these years. He said, yes, they do. <laughs> so I, I, I'm thinking about it. 
Yeah, I agree with uh, Dangerous Danny there. I think people would love it. And with the uh, you know old school being cool again, I think that uh, people want to hear about those days. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm looking into it. As far as any plugs, do you have any like where where people can kind of reach out to you, or, or are you pretty private in that way? Yeah, are you saying where they can write me or call me? Yeah, like yeah. Do you, do you have plugs or like social media or anything like that? Uh, they can reach me on my website at, at my church, www.shiloh-baptist-church.org. They can reach me like that. They can reach me on my Facebook page, uh, uh, Kenneth Johnson, and uh, uh, they can they can if they want to write me. They can write me at PO Box. One six five eight five, Louisville, Kentucky, four zero two five six. Okay, great stuff. Thank you so much uh, for all the time today, uh, Slickster. I uh, really appreciate all the time. Thank you. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yo, glad, glad to have met you, and uh, thank you for thanking enough of me this morning to even spend this time with. You. Absolutely, and we'll definitely we'll uh, we'll stay in touch, and we'll have to do it again and uh, do some uh, some business together as far as the autograph scene and stuff. So uh, I think uh, let's stay in touch. Right. Thank you, John. Yep. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Yep. You too. All right. Blessing. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.